Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for an opportunity to come together as brothers and sisters. We ask that you would help us to hear the things in which we need to hear today. That our hearts would be tender. That our minds and hearts will be refocused on you. You are the one who walks beside us. You are the one who carries us. You are the one that sustains us. May we find our hope in you and in you alone. May you be honored by what is done here today. I pray that you help me in the words that in which I may speak, that it will be clear in, in an understanding way. May you be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. England's first female monarch was Mary I. Known as Mary Tudor, she ruled for just five years, the only surviving child of Henry VIII's first wife. Catherine of Aragon. Mary took the throne after a brief reign of her half-brother, Edward VI. Her ambition was to return England to the Catholic Church. She is most remembered as the one who burned nearly 300 English Protestants for heresy, which earned her the nickname Bloody Mary. As you know, it is not too different today when it comes to the persecution of Christians. We have seen and heard the beheading of Christians and the persecution of those who stand for Christ. We have seen how the church in China has been persecuted and their pastors beaten, thrown in prison, sometimes for many years, and many of them have died. This type of persecution has been part for standing for Christ for centuries. And as we look at our text in 1 Peter, we will see the same type of treatment. It has been just about two years where I started preaching on 1 Peter. Today I will continue in 1 Peter as we look at two passages. Verses 8 and 9. But to refresh our minds to what was covered before, I will give a short recap. Peter is writing to Christians who have fled from Rome to different providences in Asia Minor because of persecution. At this time in history, Nero, Claudius, Drysus, Germanesus, is the emperor of Rome. It is said that Nero had an incredible lust for building. He enjoyed building things. One of the structures that Nero wanted to build was his golden palace. But you see, there was a problem. There were already structures at that location. In July... A.D. 64, a great fire ravaged Rome for six days. Some believe it was Nero who had the fire started because the palace was later built at that same location. With the fire came great devastation. Their great temple, the library, and many homes were lost as many lives were also lost and the images in which Rome worshipped. The fire took the lives of many, leaving the city in devastation. Nero was a man who also wanted the affection and the appreciation of his people. So the blame for the fire was that it was started by the Christians. With the focus now on the Christian for the devastation of the temple, 
and the people's homes and the loss of loved ones and their lives. Christians became an outlet for Romans' anger and their frustration. Nero began to have Christians persecuted. Some were used for sport in the Colosseum arena with wild animals. Others were clothed in animal skins and were attacked by Nero's dogs just for sport. Some were covered alive in pitch and used as torches in Nero's garden parties. You see, the Romans already hated the Christians because they would not worship the deities of Rome. The Christian faith in Jesus disrupted Rome and what the Romans held to be true. Christians were also seen as having fellowship with the Jews who worshipped a man who was hung on a tree on a tree by crucifixion. And they despised this. This is why the Christians have fled to the providence of Asia Minor. Here's my proposition for today. The focus of our thinking fuels how you will live when life brings you suffering and persecution. Think about that. It is your thinking that fuels how you will live. Our first point, encouragement while dispersed. Peter is writing this letter to these Christians for he wants to encourage them, to give them hope. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles of the, dis- of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The first thing Peter wants these believers to understand is that they have been chosen by God. He calls them the elect. Being the elect means that God has chosen them before the foundation of the world was even established. And if you remember our study in Ephesians, we read that. In Ephesians 1, verses 2, I'm sorry, 3 through 6, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption for himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the Beloved. It will encourage these Christians to know that even though they have left their homes and now are exiles, they are the elect, chosen by God. When faced with great difficulties in life, we too, you and I, need to be reminded God has chosen us. And he, uh, and he understands the difficulties we are now facing. Have you ever felt alone in the middle of your life crisis? Wondering if God had forgotten you? Or that has anybody remembered you? It is easy to wonder if God has forgotten us if our focus 
is fixed on the situation at hand. Peter is letting these Christians know that they are not forgotten. God knows what they are going through. The trial they are going through has a purpose. It is to purify and to test their faith. Last time when I spoke about 1 Peter, I said this. A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Think about that. It is easy for us to say, I will go to the ends of the world with you. Or we might say, till death do us part, I will never leave you in our wedding vows. Or we will, or we will follow Jesus no matter the circumstances. But it, it is in the turn of events that our commitment of faith is shown. The loss of one's health, the loss of one's possessions. These are just some things that can test the resolved of one's faith and commitment that gives evidence of one's faith. Encouragement because of our living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For the Christians, it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that enables us to have perseverance that brings the renewed stored the reward stored up that cannot be stolen. Why? Because we have been born again to a living hope. Paul Tripp says, faith is trusting in God's wisdom and grace even when what he is doing in your life seems to make no sense. That is what faith is. It is trusting in God's wisdom and his grace even when what he is doing in your life seems to make no sense. You see, God does not have to answer to us or to anyone why he does what he does. If you remember 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5, 7, reminds us that you and I are called to live by faith. And I might also say, or understanding of why God is doing what he's doing. You see, walking by faith can and will be very hard at times. Just getting yourself out of bed can be the hardest thing to do on a particular day if you are facing persecution or great suffering. Can you imagine how these Christians are feeling? They are tired, afraid of what could happen to them and their family and their friends. But see, Peter reminds them of something that cannot be taken from them. An inheritance. Let us look again at the passage starting at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept for you in heaven. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. It is kept in heaven for you. 
Peter reminds them, it has your name on it. It belongs to you. Many of us, because of our human nature, would like some assurance that what we are going through has a purpose. We want to know, is it worth it? No one wants to go through hardships and suffering knowing it serves no purpose. For us as believers, the following Jesus Christ means that we will suffer and that our suffering has a purpose. In our passage, in our text, it is the testing and the perfecting of our faith. But James, the brother of Jesus, gives us another perspective as well. In James 1, verses 2 through 4, this is what James says. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing that you would be a mature believer who stands for Christ. But I don't know if if you caught the word various kinds. See, we would like to know that the testing of which we're going to face are just one kind. I can handle one kind of testing. But Scripture says it's going to be various kinds. So today, you might have health issues. But that might not be what you have next year or the year after. It will more than likely be something else. Various kinds. When we think about James and even what we are reading in 1 Peter, I wonder how often we have the spiritual eyes to see and understand that God uses our present situation to sanctify us for our good. Have we seen that? Can we recognize that? That we understand that there's something going on that God is doing in our hearts. That he is perfecting us. Just as these Christians were facing many challenges and running for their lives, Peter's trying to refocus their thinking on the eternal blessings and assurance they have in Christ. Yes, the situation is a a dire one. And yes, it may cost them their lives, as it has for others. However, what could not be taken from them and from you and me is an inheritance that God has set aside for us. This inheritance is different from what we know and might receive here from our family and our loved ones. And an inheritance here is governed by the rate, uh, the going rate of the items, maybe your house, your cars, your property. Depending on the market, an inheritance can go up or it can go down. It can have great value or no value at all. It can be taken from you and given to another. It can even be stolen from you altogether. But this is a different inheritance. Encouragement in a godly inheritance. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to revealed to be revealed in the last time. What are some of the things that are part of this inheritance that we can sometimes miss? Because I don't know if we always think about this. Yes, there is an inheritance waiting for you, but yet there is things in which this inheritance is already provided for you. Here's just a few. A new life. As you have moved from death to life by the work of Christ. You have joy. The assurance of what God has promised will take place. You have joy. You have peace. As Jesus says, the peace I give you is not like the world. You are also given the righteousness of Christ as you are clothed with his righteousness. You also have the companionship with Christ as he says, I will be with you to the very end. You also have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as as he is the seal the guarantee of your inheritance. You also have sanctification because you are his children and he is sanctifying you. What he has started, he will then complete. We also have the promise of heaven. For Jesus says, I am going away to prepare a place for you. We also have the promise to come of a new body where we'll experience no more pain, no more sorrow, and we'll be just like Jesus. You see, this inheritance we know now in part, but one day we will know it in full. Peter says, this is a different inheritance. He says, first, it is imperishable. It cannot be taken away or go bad. It doesn't and it will not disappear. Second, it is undefiled. It cannot be corrupted by sin. Third, Peter says, It cannot lose its value. It is unfading. It will never decay. What is it that you and I have? We have salvation. An eternal salvation that no one can take away from you. It is yours and will be yours forever no matter what life brings you, you have eternal salvation. Peter is trying to change their thinking. He reminds them that they have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, as they look around them, they may not see a lot of hope. Because people are angry and many are homeless. Many of them have lost a great deal as well. Maybe they had to leave in a hurry with just a few things they could carry. For many of us, this is kind of hard for us to imagine. We have not had to leave town in a hurry. Looking over our possession and determined what to take and what needs to be left. Think about the devastation that took place with the campfire of 2018. It covered an area of 153,336 acres. It destroyed 18,804 structures. 
with most of the damage occurring within just four hours. As of November 19th, insured damages was estimated to be between $7.5 billion to $10 billion. It took 17 days to bring the fire to 100% containment. Can you imagine and understand the danger of the frustration of the problem? As you must choose what to leave and what to take. Understanding you may never see it again. It is no different from these Christians as they too have fled, taking what they think is important. Peter wants them to understand they have an inheritance that is kept by God. They cannot be lost, cannot be stolen, cannot be burned up by fire. It is kept by God himself. Encouragement in the rejoicing. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Did you catch that again? Various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. <clears throat> Lost my praise. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 6, in our text, Paul tells them to rejoice. Not because of their circumstances, but in the fact that God is testing their faith. But what comes with the testing of that faith is an inheritance. If you remember the list of what we have as an inheritance, some of these things we have now, and yet some are things yet to come. But they have an inheritance. They now have life, joy, peace, righteousness. They can experience God's presence as they are no longer his enemy. They can experience the companionship with Christ. They also have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because they are children, they are being sanctified. But we see that Peter goes on in verse 6 with an understanding of the hardship they are facing. He says, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says, though now, yes, you have an inheritance. But for now, you must go through this hardship and the fire to perfect and to test your faith. For many of us, it is the though now part of life's struggles and pains that is hard for us to understand and even endure. But it is part of the sanctification process God has deemed necessary for you and I. You see, we must move our focus 
from the here and the now to the one who does not change and his future hope for us as he is testing our faith. As we have recently begun our way through the book of Job, I imagine you and I can't imagine what it would be like to lose everything in just one single day. Yet God allowed it. If you remember in chapter 1 of Job, God said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. God said there is no one like Job on the earth. Yet he faced great tragedy as God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job except his life. As we continue in the book of Job, we will see that God was working yet on Job's sanctification as well. Job says in chapter 42, Then God, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the year, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, I repent in dust and ashes. You see, Job's perspective and understanding of who God is changed. For those of us who are children called the elect, you see, we too need our view of who God is changed and enlarged. Our view of God is always let me say it again, always too small. Think about this. Have you ever considered how you respond if God said to Satan about you? Have you considered my servant apply your name? Would you worship like Job did? I don't know about you. Scripture also tells us that he will put no more on us than we are able to bear. I remember a season, even in my own life, when life was extremely difficult. Didn't have a job, couldn't find a job. But I knew he was good. I knew he was faithful. And I would ask myself the question, Ed, Maybe God is saying, have you considered my servant Ed? Personally, that helped me. I wanted to be that faithful individual who worshipped him even in the midst of the difficulty. How would you respond if God said to Satan, have you considered my servant with your name, how would you respond? Encouragement in Christ. Let us look at verses 8 and 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, did not see him, now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy 
with an unexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, these Christians did not have the privilege of seeing and knowing the one who redeemed them personally. Yet Peter says they loved him. Even then this season, which may, which may be the most trying time of their lives, they still rejoiced in him. I think it's interesting. As Peter is writing, Peter may be thinking about his own life and how he rejected Christ, how he had wavering faith. And yet he looks at these Christians being persecuted, running for their lives, understanding the hardships they are going through. And Peter says, you love him, even though you've never seen him. You don't see him now, but yet you trust him. I think Peter himself was also encouraged to see the faith of these believers. You see, those on the outside looking in will say, why? How can you rejoice when everything you know has been turned upside down? You have lost everything. Your possessions, your home, your friends, your family. What is there to rejoice about? You see, it is in the assurance that was promised to them will come about. This joy, this assurance is anchored in the work of Christ on the cross. It is he who has given them hope through his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This gives them reason to rejoice. What has Peter been doing? He has been helping them take their eyes of what is taking place now, which they have no control over. Peter has them look at what is yet to come that cannot be taken away from them. This, if you understand the gospel, is the gospel. Is that we have hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of life takes on a new meaning. We now have a renewed hope. In Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, Paul tells us, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God and children than heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you're like me, we like the idea of being an heir as it points to that inheritance that is set aside and guaranteed by God. The problem, many of us would, would say, if we were honest, is the suffering with him part. Paul says, yes, 
You are one of God's children, chosen children, and there is an inheritance set aside for you. But he says, you must first suffer. As you look at your life, how have you viewed your suffering? Have you looked at it as part of being part of the family of God? Have you seen your suffering and understand, oh, I am a part of God's family. He has chosen me. And I understand why I must suffer. See, this is no difference in what Peter has been trying to say to you and I today. We can be so consumed with the here and the now and we take our eyes of what, off of what is to come. Romans 8, 18 tells us Paul's perspective. Because see, Paul also had a life of suffering, persecution, hardship. But this is what Paul says. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He understands, yes, this is hard right now, but yet I know what is yet to come. And I look forward to that. This is nothing to what is yet to come. Paul is saying, yes, I am suffering. But it can't compare to what is coming. If the believers in 1 Peter put their hopes in the dreams, in the things they owned, and then they had to leave them behind, they would have no hope. They would not be resting in the joy that is the imperishable and filled with glory that verse 8 speaks about. It was not their possessions that saved them, nor will it be yours or mine. Our hope, as well as the hope of these believers, comes from a person, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 24 and 25 tells us, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is now hope that is seen is not hope, for hope that, for we hope for what, for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, we wait patiently for the return of Christ to actually enjoy in full this inheritance that is set before us. You see, we can make the mistake of putting our hope in the things of this world, our homes, our children, our career, our possessions, your name, your bank account, your health. And when it is all gone, then where's your hope? Because we are willing to wait with patience, we will, as verse 9 tells us, obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. What an assurance is ours if we remain faithful in the midst of difficulties and hardships. You see, throughout this book, Peter is working on their, these Christians on their thinking, their attitude, reminding them of who they are and who they represent and how they are to live in this situation. 
He is not trying to change the situation, nor is he trying to get the people to gather together to fight against the authorities. But he's calling them to submit to them. Too often this could be our desire. We want to change our work situation, to change those we live with, to change those who are in government, to change our spouse. But you see, Peter does not go there. He works on their thinking and their behavior as he points them to the one who brought about the salvation of their souls. What about you today? What is your focus? Are you looking at what you have lost? Maybe you lost your retirement, your home, your possessions, your health, your children, your spouse, your parents. Or you may be focused on the current political condition. For many in the world today, this is where their hope lies, in, the th in things and in others, with little or no thought of eternity. Their hope is only in what they can have and hold now. and what they think needs to be changed. Paul reminds us that we are not to be like those in this world. We are called to be different. And you know this passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that Paul tells us. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But I find it interesting, he says, a living sacrifice. If you remember in the Old Testament, they would place the item on the altar. As living sacrifices, you and I are called to climb up on that altar to be the sacrifice. Yes, you will have some hardships, some difficulties. Your life is to be a living sacrifice for God. Have you allowed the world to shape your thinking? You see, you and I must take our eyes off the things that will pass away and put them on a promise of what is yet to come. An inheritance that is protected by God himself. The salvation of your souls. Here's my concluding thoughts. Have you tied your hope to the things that will fade away? your health, your family, your possessions, your retirement? Have you overlooked the inheritance you have now in Christ? Because see, you can be so consumed with the things around you that you forget about what you have right here, right now. You forget that you do have joy. You can have peace, even when life is hard. You do, at this time, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, have the righteousness 
of Christ. And because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has moved you from death to life. What has been the focus of your thinking in the midst of your suffering and your hardships? Are you only thinking about what was lost? We can be so consumed with it that we see nothing else. You've heard the saying, I can't see the forest because of this tree. We forget what we have. We have much more than what we can recognize. But do we understand that? Yes, life is hard. Yes, life will be difficult. Yes, you will have difficulties. You will have hardships. You may, at this time, may have not had much. But yet, I know one day you will experience it. I pray that you would understand what is your focus. Are you thinking about yet what is to come? Understanding that and what is here now will perish. I know how hard it can be to lose an inheritance. That could be hard. To lose your home, that can be hard. But what we do have is what nobody can take away from you. The salvation of your soul. I pray that that will be the focus of your thinking today, tomorrow, and years to come, understanding what Christ has done on your behalf. Let us pray. Father, I do thank you for who you are. I thank you for this example that Peter is putting forth. I pray that too will be part of our thinking, that we will be people who worship you, who serve you, who honor you. That our focus would not be on this world, but on a world that is yet to come. May we find our hope in you. May we rest in you. I pray, Father, likewise, that we would encourage others who are so focused on the here and now that we would be an example of what is yet to come. May you be honored and may you be glorified in all that takes place. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.